0: Welcome to the Frederick Democrats podcast, a production of the Frederick County Democratic Central Committee. I'm your host, Josh Kramer, uh, and today I'm doing things a little bit differently than I usually do with this podcast. I'm going to be doing two interviews, uh, both on the same topic, uh, the 287G program in Frederick County. If you're not familiar with the 287G program, in essence, it's a program in which uh, the Frederick County Sheriff's Office uh participates with ICE, or Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, And this is from the ICE.gov website uh, about the overview. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, 287G program enhances the safety and security of communities by creating partnerships with state and local law enforcement agencies to identify and remove aliens who are amenable to removal from the United States. Uh, I also went to the... Uh, A link on that page, uh, which is the, I want to make sure I get the name of this right, it's the Memorandum of Agreement between the Frederick County Sheriff's Office and ICE. Uh, It says, the purpose of this collaboration is to enhance the safety and security of communities by focusing resources on identifying and processing for removal aliens who fall into ICE's civil immigration enforcement policies. Uh, So with me today to talk about this program uh, and really uh, her her experience uh, is Claudia, who emigrated to the United States when she was 12 years old uh, from the country of El Salvador. Uh, Claudia, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So first, what I would like uh, is if you're able to uh, talk about your experience uh, in coming to the United States, and uh, then to maybe elaborate a bit on that and, and describing why you decided to make the journey to the United States.
1: So I come from a really poor family in El Salvador, a single mother with seven children, and I constantly got sent away to live with family members in order for my ma- my mom to have a you know, less of a mouth to feed. And after being sent to different family members, I started dreaming of coming to America. And I had an aunt who lived in Los Angeles. And after months and months of asking her to bring me here, she finally agreed. After she let me know that she would make arrangements for me to come here, it was really intense to face the agreement that I had made and to come to realize that it was something really, really serious. I was going to be traveling to the United States from El Salvador on a company, meaning no parents, no guardians. So I still recall how my sister dropped me off at the people smuggler's house. And from there, uh, the next day, I took a bus all throughout Guatemala. Once we arrived at the border, we jumped on a makeshift raft and with help from some local men, we crossed the border into Mexico. And once arriving in Mexico, it was really, really scary because being from Central America and having a different accent, I was asked not to speak or say anything because Central Americans crossing through Mexico suffer a lot uh, by the local police or the local Uh, law enforcement and this was back in 2000 and I know that things have gotten a lot worse nowadays and um, I was told that if I got caught in Mexico I would be detained and I would have to wait for my parents to come and get me. It was really scary. Uh, I was actually in Chiapas, Mexico for about six months because my aunt who was in Los Angeles wasn't able to fully pay the amount that she owed to the people smugglers. So they couldn't move me. And uh, finally, I was able to move and make it into the U.S. But that is still the scariest thing I've ever done in my life.
0: One of the the things uh, in in recent years, uh, of course, since 2015, when now President Trump uh, launched his campaign, uh, and granted, you, you're being from El Salvador. Uh, in his in his announcement speech that he was running for president, um, he said something to the effect that uh, when Mexico sends its people, it's not sending their best; uh, they're sending drug dealers and rapists and murderers. Uh, he's also made an argument that um people immigrating to the united states uh are bringing infectious diseases with them um and and more recently he was at uh cpac uh or sort of recently he was at cpac where he took the song of an african-american singer called the snake and he uh he he put it in a way he, he said think about this song in terms of immigration and uh, for those not familiar with it, you know, the, the, the song is about uh, this woman coming along and there's a half frozen snake and the snake is pleading for its life and everything. And the woman takes it home and cares for it. But then the snake bites her and, you know, she's dying and she's like, why did you do, do this? And, and the snake says, well, you knew I, I was a snake all along. Um, and, and, of course, his, his recent remarks uh, with, uh, you know, the congresswomen, notably Ilhan Omar, and saying, you know, to go back to your, to your country. She, of course, is a, a, a refugee from, from um, uh, Sudan, Somalia, sorry. What goes through your mind when you hear this kind of rhetoric from our leaders?
1: I believe that we live in very scary times. It makes me feel very vulnerable and very unhappy. It's hard to try to look at the future and be excited about things, to be honest. I feel that Trump really enjoys energizing his racist base by dehumanizing immigrants and by using a lot of racist rhetoric, such as, go back to your country. That is a statement that has been historically used by white supremacists and we have to just really call it for what it is we have a very racist precedent in the white house at the moment i believe that when he does this he is taking away the humanity of of our immigrant communities and it is really hard to to live in this day and age just a few days ago in my class i'm actually attending college uh, it was brought up to decide whether it was fair for the white supremacists who marched with the tiki torches, if it was okay for him to be expelled from his public school or not. And I agreed with You know the other students saying that perhaps he shouldn't have been spelled from a public school but that i disagreed with what he was doing and what he stood for however a lot of my classmates just blatantly defended him and said that he did nothing wrong that all that had happened there is that somebody took his photo and that's the only reason why he got in trouble and in no way shape or form did they think that him being an open white supremacist was wrong, or that there was anything wrong with it. So I think he is really helping create this very violent, racist climate in different communities, and it's something really hard to deal with.
0: Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I asked you about, you know, because you 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 get this kind of rhetoric from our leaders, and of course, you know, when you when you look locally here in Frederick County, the the sheriff uh, Chuck Jenkins has. Uh, given full support of what President Trump is, is doing. Uh, He's stated publicly his support for building a wall along the, the southern border. And you, know, and, and you hear this kind of rhetoric from, from the president, and certainly it's upsetting. But to, to counter that narrative, what do you want people to know about people like yourself, you know, who have come here... I assume and uh, you know seeking a, a better life.
1: I want them to know that we are just here trying to accomplish our goals. We have dreams, we have families, we have friends, we are members of communities. I feel that with this 287G law, we are just pushing the immigrant community into the shadows immigrants are not going to feel comfortable calling the police when they are victims of a crime or if they witness a crime take place. And as a result, this will harm our communities. Instead of creating safer communities, you are gonna create communities in which the immigrant community does not want to contact the police. And I think it's a, it goes way deeper than that as well. We can talk about mental and emotional instability as well. Lots of anxiety, lots of, de- lots of depression. And we are not talking about this uh, being something that only immigrants will struggle with, but we also have to think about all the children who are actual American citizens, who are the children of immigrants, who are currently going through such things My niece she's only 10 years old and she's very aware that at any moment my sister could be sent back to el salvador and she cries about this ever since trump was running for office she's been suffering from different attacks by her classmates she doesn't share with anyone that her mother is from el salvador but she hears her classmates chanting build a wall build a wall and things like that and i believe it's for, for, for whoever is non-white, it's very oppressive. It's a very oppressive time to be alive in the United States.
0: Claudia, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it and and your bravery and uh, coming on here. Thank you. So uh, next, uh, I'm going to take just a a minute here and I'm going to bring on Juliana Downey uh, who is going to talk more specifically about the 287G program here in Frederick County. I'm here with Juliana Downey who's going to talk a bit more on this 287G program in Frederick County, this participation that our sheriff's office has with ice uh, so juliana most uh, americans i think at this point know about the immigration debate that's going on in washington and they have at least a basic understanding of what ice is uh, but i want to address how these federal policies affect us in frederick county specifically through the 287G program. Uh, so, could you now? I read earlier the, the kind of description of it, but based on your understanding, could you give us a, a brief explanation as to what this program is and how it is used in Frederick County?
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. Um, in simple terms, the 287G program is when state and local law enforcement officers are deputized to do the job of federal immigration officers. The name 287G comes from a section of the Immigration Responsibility Act of 1996. So it's actually, 287G has actually been around since the Clinton administration, but it has changed dramatically in the way it is enforced. And for the most part, most jurisdictions across the country do not participate. I think the number you just gave.
0: Yeah, um, when we were talking earlier, there are uh, 79... Law enforcement agencies, according to ICE's website, there are 79 law enforcement agencies around the country that participate in, that currently participate in the 287G program. That is 79 law enforcement agencies out of a total of 15,400 in the United States. Uh, there's another number out there that's that's like eighteen thousand, but the number I'm using is not including things like college police forces and and stuff like that. So, and and that's always been my one of my questions about this. And I, I guess I'm just asking this rhetorically for listeners to think about if ICE, as well as the sheriff's office here in Frederick County under Sheriff Jenkins, have talked about how fantastic and great this program is, and. Mm-hmm. If it is that great, then why are only seventy nine law enforcement agencies out of over fifteen thousand using it? You know, but I, I guess we can maybe get into that a little bit later. But how how is it being used here in Frederick County now?
2: So we've had a two eighty seven G agreement in Frederick County since two thousand eight, and since two thousand eight. Over 1,700 people have been processed through the Frederick County Sheriff's Department for deportation. And about 88% of those people were picked up for nonviolent offenses. So the 287G program, according to Jenkins, is supposed to be asking people's citizenship once they've been detained and brought to the detention center, and arrested for some sort of crime. Um, he claims that it is, you know, keeping dangerous criminals off the streets. But even by his own numbers, in and what it really looks like in practice, is nonviolent, generally law-abiding people are being picked up and then processed for deportation. One of the stipulations of the 287G program, something that Sheriff Jenkins says often is that this is not being done on the street. He's he's not allowed to be asking citizenship questions on the street. And we have countless accounts of deputies asking and Frederick City police asking citizenship questions on the street, which is outside of the guidelines of 287G in itself. Another thing that the sheriff often says is it's in his PowerPoint from from last year's steering Mm -hmm. committee meeting, which he decided not to hold this year, which is unfortunate. But one of the things that is listed on that PowerPoint is he says there have been zero complaints of racial profiling under the 287 g agreement, which is verifiably false. There have been at least two known complaints. If if you want to call them complaints, they're actually lawsuits. Mm-hmm. One was the Roxana Santos lawsuit, which was proven in a federal court to be racial profiling and a violation of her Fourth Amendment constitutional rights. Yes, undocumented immigrants have constitutional rights. And now we have a new lawsuit, the Saramagano case, which is also a violation of the Fourth Amendment.
0: When one reads the Constitution, it becomes pretty clear pretty uh, pretty quickly that when you look at the Fourth and Fourteenth Amendment, that uh, the, the, the words citizen or citizens do not appear but persons, persons under the jurisdiction of the United States. So if you are in the United States, you are beholden to all the laws of the United States, but you are also... Uh, entitled to all the rights granted in the Constitution, and I, I think sometimes people people uh, mix or, or, or miss that. Uh, I know you, you had noted the one the one case before, um, and and but I want to talk before I get into into that. You belong to a activist group called Rise and I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about this group and what they do and why they want to see an end to the 287G program in Frederick County.
2: Yes, thank you. So the RISE Coalition of Western Maryland stands for Resources for Immigrant Support and Empowerment. Um, We're also known known as Levantate. And we are an immigrant-led coalition. Most of our meetings are bilingual. Um, We have English-only speaking members, we have Spanish-only speaking members, and we have multilingual speaking members. Um, Most of what we do is exactly that. It's geared towards the empowerment of the immigrant community. As you heard Claudia speak about, a lot of the immigrants, even documented immigrants in our community, are feeling vulnerable, uh, particularly with the 287G agreement, because there is racial profiling going on and they have a reason to feel vulnerable. And so part of our focus is empowering the immigrants in our community, uplifting and amplifying their voices, sharing their stories um, in a way that that doesn't risk their safety in many ways. Um, One of the things that we also do is most recently we just had a Dia de Familia where we had a picnic, we got together, it was potluck, (laughs) we hang out with each other's children and families and friends. Um, And we also give free legal clinic advice. Um, Unfortunately, one of the things that we have had to do is in some cases prepare undocumented people for the possibility of deportation. And so we do have several lawyers, several immigration, local immigration attorneys as members of RISE, and we are always looking for more if anybody would like to volunteer their time to help our community. Um, So those free legal clinics are are an essential part of what we do as well.
0: So I know you can't speak on the specifics regarding uh, any pending lawsuits, but uh, it's been reported that RISE, along with the Maryland ACLU, or American Civil Liberties Union, are suing the Frederick County Sheriff's Office over civil rights violations. Uh, So what can you tell us about this case,
2: well, I can tell you everything that's public already. So, Sarah Madrano um, is a grandmother, a local woman who has lived in Frederick for 13 years. She was driving in her car. Her daughter was in the passenger seat, and her granddaughter was in the back. Um, it was dusk. Her headlights were turned on because the lights, you know, were, sunlight was going down, and she was driving the speed limit. And she noticed a deputy's car following her for quite a while quite a long time. Um, so finally the deputy asked her to pull over, to pull over, she pulled over. Um, the deputy came up to the window and he didn't speak English so rightfully she asked for a Spanish-speaking deputy. Um, in Within a few minutes a Spanish-speaking deputy arrived um, and asked her the same information. Um, but. A difference in what the first deputy did is, is the the second deputy asked her if she was a citizen of the United States, and she refused to answer, which is protected under the Fifth Amendment. She has a right to not answer that question, and nor should he be asking that question in the first place.
0: And and the Fifth Amendment, of course, gives people the right against self-incrimination. Exactly.
2: So um, him asking that question was a violation of the 287G agreement in itself. He should he should not have asked that question. So she had no responsibility or you know precedence to answer that question. <clears throat> so she refused to answer. At that point, they called ICE to come get her. They waited for over an hour for ICE to come, um, and ICE either wasn't willing to come. We we don't. We don't know why ICE didn't come, but they had her pulled over on the side of the road for an hour waiting for ICE to come. When it was clear ICE wasn't going to come and they could no longer detain her, they said, you have un aviso, which is, you know, an advisory for immigration, get a lawyer. Um, She at first had not been told why she was pulled over. At the end, they said it was a broken taillight. So she and her daughter were rather shaken up. This was a very long hour for her to wait on the side of the road, wondering what was going to happen next with her daughter and her granddaughter in the back of the car. And when they got home, they checked their taillights, and both of them were working properly.
0: Which, I guess, brings about the question of what was the motivation of the officer to pull them over if the, if, if the taillights were working properly. Exactly. I guess I'm giving my own little commentary in, in this. Uh, you know, it, it, it's frustrating um, that the sheriff decided not to hold his uh, the, the annual 287G hearing. He's done that in the past, and people have been able to give public comment. Uh, un, unless I'm mistaken, I believe that, that he was quoted this year for his reason uh, for not doing it was because there was, um, I, I guess, some people who were being disrespectful to him, uh, it's fascinating to me that uh, the sheriff of a county of about a quarter million people seems unable to be able to control a room. But, you know, one of the other things for me is, and, and I made comment recently, you know, on, on um, July 23rd, several people from the RISE Coalition uh, appeared at the county council meeting, and of course, uh, 287G was not uh, on the agenda, but there was the public comment section and, and people were able to make comment. For me, I noted you know the transparency issue here. the, the sheriff, uh, there have been multiple calls for uh, an open audit of the 287G program here in Frederick County. We know that Anne Arundel County has recently gotten rid of it following an investigation of the 287G program there. Um, Montgomery County has decided they're not gonna do it. Uh, Last year, PG County, the county executive there, issued an executive order saying they weren't gonna do it. Uh, The Attorney General's office in Maryland has advised counties not to engage in in this uh, program. And one of the things that's a concern is how much is this costing the the, the taxpayers here in Frederick County? Why is the sheriff so terrified of, of transparency? What does he not want us to know? He, he says that ICE audits the program. But, uh, you know, if ICE is benefiting from this and Frederick County is not, I don't really think there's... Uh, a reason for ICE to care what that audit looks like. So it would seem like it would make more sense if there was an independent audit uh, of the program and lastly, uh, it, it seems unfair. I understand that the sheriff is is elected and everything, but it still seems unfair that if he is violating civil rights and that is resulting in lawsuits at the cost of of the taxpayers, that's not fair to the taxpayers. Right. Um, so, but the the last question I wanted to ask you about is, you know, with this group rise, uh, people who would like to get more involved with the group, how can they do that?
2: Well absolutely. And I, I'd actually like to address the cost question. Yes, as yeah, well. please do. You know, we we don't know how much it costs. It can be in the millions of dollars. Lots of counties have cited that, but what we do know is it's costing our safety. Um the universal crime report issued by the Maryland State Police and cited by Jenkins himself to show that crime has dropped since the initiation of two eighty seven G, that is true. From two thousand eight to two thousand sixteen Crime has dropped in Frederick County about 30 percent, but crime in Montgomery County dropped 44 percent during that same period, and crime in Prince George's County dropped 57 percent in that same period. And both of those counties have much larger immigrant populations and no 287G agreement. So we crime in general dropped, so for the sheriff to cite that, that's true, but other counties who don't participate in 2a7g and have higher immigrant populations Mm -hmm. they they had a much more significant drop than we did and one of that one of the issues is is this chilling effect that this partnership has with law enforcement and it's, it's called a chilling effect because law enforcement gets iced out by the community basically the community doesn't feel safe talking to law enforcement so less crime is reported because there is a fear of law enforcement and a fear of retribution of being deported. So, you know, the Sheriff Jenkins says we have this problem with MS-13. And it, mm-hmm. in my opinion, 287G, if we do have a problem with MS-13, A, why don't we have a gang task force? But B, 287G fuels that problem mm-hmm. because by and large, victims are undocumented immigrants of these gangs. They take advantage of that fear of law enforcement. So your question was...
0: Yeah, about (laughs) uh, people people getting involved with with RISE. With
2: RISE. So we do have... um, Our meetings are not public. They are private meetings, obviously, because we do have vulnerable community members. Um, But if you would like to email the RISE Coalition, MD, at gmail.com, our Facebook page is probably the best way to find out about events and activities that are open to the public. And then we also have the risewesternmaryland.com website to visit.
0: Uh, Juliana Downey, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking about the 287G program here in Frederick County.
2: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Please make sure you're going to the Frederick Democrats website, www.frederickdemocrats.org, where you can get a calendar of all our events and everything. You can also find other ways to get involved with the local Democratic Party. Uh, I'm Josh Kramer and I want to again thank Claudia and Juliana for uh, being on the podcast today. The uh, music for this podcast was written and performed by David Fitzwater. Thanks so much. Till next time.